As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the weekend preview on the Athletic Football Podcast, sponsored by Bet365. I'm Dan Bardell with George Ellick and Bet365 Steve Reed alongside me as ever to preview the final weekend of this season's Premier League action. And with the title still undecided, as well as fourth spot and that last relegation place, there's plenty for us to discuss. We'd usually have a little chat before we start, guys. I'll quickly ask you how you are, but there's so much to get through. I would like to get straight into it, but how are you? I'm good, thanks, mate. All fine. Cheers. Good. Good. <laughs> Steve? I feel, a bit, I feel a little bit on the beach, Dan. No Me time too. for that. End We've of season. No that, Steve. Disrespectful. End, end of season. Yeah, I, I, need to, I need to get out of it. I need to get out of it. It's disrespectful to the other teams involved in podcast, Steve. I said to my wife about, about 50 minutes ago, I feel like I've broken up for summer, so... I think I am on the beach, yeah. Well, we'll try and keep it professional. <laughs> Before we do get into it, remember you can sign up to The Athletic for just a pound per month for the first six months. If you do that, you'll sample the best sports writing in the business as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts. Just visit theathletic.com slash football pod. Right then, so it's that unusual last weekend where all the games kick off at the same time. We're going to start off by looking at relegation. We've got Brentford versus Leeds and Burnley versus Newcastle. Everton, of course, won on Thursday night. They're safe. Scenes at Goodison, I guess. But Steve, none of us are fans of pitch invasions. Yeah, never got it. Never done it. Never probably will do it. Um, and of course, Albion win the uh, you know win something like a game, and we might uh, run on the pitch. Now I was in the Port Vale home end last night, and they kept giving Tano messages out during the game, which I understand. And people were kind of looking around, and you just knew that that wasn't going to be the case; that they were going to go on the pitch if they if they won the game. I don't know whether it's because there's a lack of lack of steward numbers these days, whether that's down to post-COVID, whether it's down to Brexit or, or anything like that, I don't know. So there seems to be a lack of stewards stopping people getting on. Um, personally, I wouldn't fancy being a steward trying to stop people get on, by the no. way. I'd, I'd certainly like to get that out there. But if I'm a fan, I would appreciate it from the stands. And it, if I'm a player or a manager on that pitch or a referee, 
I am petrified of people running at, you know, numbers of people running at you. And we saw that in the week with the Billy Sharp incident, confrontations with players. You know, some of these people have, you know, let's be honest, they could have been on it all day, you know, and you don't know what's going to happen. Um, quite a scary situation. I'd love to be able to nip it in the bud, but I don't see it. We've seen it all, all the time in these playoffs, semi-finals, fans on the pitch. They mm. haven't even won anything yet and they're still doing it. Drives me mad. Yeah, I, I disagree. It's happened at Villa Park. A few times it happened in the playoff semi-final and then Villa went on promptly to lose the final. It's happened in the League Cup semi-final recently. We went on promptly to, to lose the final. Again, I just think there's so many issues I have with it, both from a, a safety perspective and a, and a footballing perspective, Georgia. I think it robs people, especially in the bigger stages, so Everton, for example. I don't think Everton should be celebrating staying up like that. I get that they're relieved. I get that they looked in big, big trouble and they're relieved to have stayed up, of course. But a club like Everton shouldn't be celebrating simply surviving relegation like that. And you're then robbing the fans that can't get down the chance to celebrate with the players and it all be one. And part of the issue is, you know, pitch invasions aren't anything new, but but the newest part of this is this willingness from the invading fans who are clearly normally the victors um, to try and goad, at the very least, the opposition. And, and I think this boils down to... The you know the a societal issue basically, and I think it all comes back to a, a new generation of fan um, who has grown up in an age of social media where you can give abuse, you spend your whole time trying to ratio people. It's all about getting one-upmanship, and mm. you know it, it, the thing that annoys me the most is a sense of entitlement from these fans that they think that because they bought their ticket that enables them to run onto the pitch after the game and physically or verbally abuse other people um, as if those other people are above it. And then when there's a retaliation, um, it's, you know, you look at the, the incident with Patrick Vieira last night where there's clearly a young fan right in his face off the back of a defeat um, who's run onto the pitch not to celebrate a win, but to purely goad a, a football manager. And he's kicked out of him. And whilst you can never condone violence um, and you can never condone somebody responding to abuse with physical retaliation, you can completely understand it. And there's absolutely no way that Vieira should get into any trouble with this. Um, similarly, with the Ollie McBurney situation at, at, with Sheffield United, you know, it looks like the police are looking into it. The, the footage itself is is pretty inconclusive but again it feels very unlikely that McBurney is doing what he's doing uh, unless he's being provoked and then the ridiculous Billy Sharp incident you know that Steve mentioned there with this conversation around pitch invasions um, a lot of the narrative is and will continue to be someone's going to get seriously hurt well Billy Sharp has been seriously hurt he's standing on the edge of the pitch he's not even on the pitch standing in front of the dugout having just watched his side lose on penalties in the playoff semi-final possibly preventing him from having the chance to play in the Premier League again in his career. Standing, minding, minding his own business, and someone has run full pelt and headbutted him in the face and he's had four stitches on the inside of his mouth. If that isn't the trigger for change in this circumstance, then I don't know what is. And the thing is, pitch invasions used to be fairly innocent. You know, I... And not just in, in in football as well. You know, in cricket games, it was often that, you know, after a successful run chase, the, the fans would run on the pitch and celebrate with the players. I've seen plenty of pitch invasions in football over the last couple of decades where it has been a celebration. And what you don't normally see, as we saw yesterday at the game that Steve was at, was you had, you know, 10 Swindon players forlorn in the middle of the pitch. And watching on Sky, watching the pitch invasion from the bird's eye camera, you could, you could basically see 
half the Vale fans running off to celebrate with the players and genuinely half of them running straight into the centre circle to surround the Swindon players. It's absolutely not on. And I think (laughs) if we don't do something about it, you know, I've been to games in Spain where they have huge cages up in front of the stands and stuff like is that where we're going to get to is it, are they going to have to have take mm. action to stop it it's pathetic behavior from a generation of fan who who seem to think that this is and I, you know i don't want to blame it all on on younger fans because obviously there are older ones there but it feels like there's been a, a shift in terms of the way that um fan, what the fans think they can get away with and it, and it seems to have stemmed you know we've all been there at games where a, a selection of the fan base will be giving dogs abuse to a player the player will give a tiny thing back and suddenly they're absolutely apoplectic and shouting at stewards to, to escort the player off. I don't know where that sense of entitlement comes from. Buying a ticket does not give you the right to, to abuse other people from the stands or on the pitch. It's just pathetic. I mean, they're not going to buy a season ticket holder. What an idiot. What, uh, only banned, what what is it only banned for 10 years. Point, I mean, why is he ever allowed back? I don't understand. No, I know. But he's, you know, he ruined his life. Yeah. moment of absolute madness absolute idiot yeah let's move away from it but before we do Phil Buckingham has written a piece on the site about pitch invasions and, and feels like you know it is a massive problem it's something that needs looking at so go and read that piece if you haven't done so already on the flip side Steve I mentioned the good feeling around Everton like I said I still don't think they should be running on the pitch to celebrate staying up I think I think that's small time yeah. but there is a connection now with the, the players the manager the fans that, that just wasn't there months ago yeah with Benitez of course and and listen everyone was kind of waiting for Benitez to to cock it up and get on his back and go and give credit to Lampard for the way that he's galvanised the relationship I would say between the club and the fans and so give him credit for that i'm i'm in two minds about whether Everton fans should be you know celebrating like they've won the league um you know like the 80s um but uh, you know it's just such relief i mean who knows where that football club would be in the next couple of years that'd or, be in huge danger yes huge i mean danger. yeah financially it clearly it's going to be it i want to say you know it would be a, a struggle for them i mean the amount of money that they've spent since Mashiri's been there as the major shareholder, is you know, he's quite scary. The thought of them challenging higher up in the league and just to be hanging on by the fingernails to stay in the Premier League is uh, obviously a concern. Believe me, Everton next season will only be about four, five to one for relegation. Twenty, twenty-five to one to finish in the top four. This is not going to change anything overnight at all. Everton aren't all of a sudden, in the bookmakers' opinion, going to be challenging for the top four, top six. There's a lot to happen. They were seven to one down for relegation before last night's game, and now it's it, it is a two-horse race. So I'm sure Everton fans will celebrate while they can. The Arsenal game will be great for them at the weekend. You know, no, no pressure whatsoever. Let the dust settle and let's have a massive stewards' inquiry. You would have thought as to why Everton are in such decline. Yeah, George, them, those players at Everton, the relationship between them, them and the fans was rock bottom when Frank Lampard came in. So you've got to give him huge credit for the way he has galvanised them and he has managed to create some form of bond because the Everton fans were not having those players at all and probably rightly so. I mean, there is a a gap here though where Everton underachieving and Everton getting relegated aren't necessarily the same thing. Um, Of course, Lampard does deserve credit and I've been one of the first detractors as to his managerial ability over the course of the season. And, you know, I did not think that he would be able to uh, you know, steady the ship, but also turn it around to the extent of getting three wins in five, um, losing just one of those five games. You know, he's certainly done a very good job, and I think we've seen for the first time in his managerial career a, a big tactical shift from him as well. Where it felt like he was a, a one-trick pony, both at Derby and at Chelsea, where 
it was always this aggressive, um, high-press football, whereas we've seen them drop off a bit in recent weeks, and I think it suited them. Um, they've also had a set-piece proficiency, which has been important and was, was quite clearly massive yesterday with both um, Michael Keane's goal, a brilliant finish as well with his left foot, and then was. and then the winner as well from from Dominic Carvert-Lewin. Um, you know, and, and I think we, we maybe have seen Frank Lampard grow as a manager um, in the last six months, uh, which is good news for them because you, you have to assume now after the job that he's done, um, that he will still be there next season. And and it's a huge job for him now because I, I'm not entirely convinced he's going to, if this doesn't work now, I'm not entirely convinced he, he will necessarily be be in the queue for another Premier League job after this. But uh, he deserves huge credit. And, you know, we saw key players last night that have, maybe haven't shown up at, at key stages this season. You know, Richarlison, um, Keane and, and Calvert-Lewin being the goal scorers. You know, Calvert-Lewin's injury was obviously a big issue for them this season. It's hard to think they'd have been in this situation had he stayed fit all season. Um, but the one thing about Lampard, which you cannot criticise, is his ability to get teams up for big games. And it's something we've seen constantly. It, it was certainly the case at Derby. Um, you know, massive games are where his side really flourished. Um, those two semi-finals over uh, against Leeds were, were, were those as well. Um, and then in these last five games, and I know it's a cliche, but these kind of cup finals as they are, where, where you're battling against relegation again, he's managed to lift them. And from 2-0 down after a very, very flat first half performance um, last night, to come back and score those three goals and get the win that, you know, that shifts them from being massively in danger of getting relegated on final day to being safe on final day. Um, there aren't many more important wins for Everton Football Club than that in recent seasons. So, yeah, massive credit to him and, and, and fair play for proving some of the doubters wrong over the last few months. Yeah, and it could be a massive point for Burnley last night at Villa Park, Steve. They're going to have enough to get something from Newcastle on the last day. I mean, they've put themselves in the position now where actually... They might not have to because the goal difference difference is so. Yeah, goal, yeah the swing, yeah, the swing yeah. is 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 fantastic for them, isn't it? I was, you were at the game last night, Daniel. Yeah. Probably better position than myself. I say I was at Port Vale and I was just updating the scores as often as I, as I possibly could. Pope had a good game, didn't he? Again, yeah, a few um, good sides. Uh, uh, it's very much in their hands. They are second favourites to go down at two to one with Leeds at at at, at four to eleven. So even with the injuries to key players towards the end, I, I'm not sure how fit Tarkovsky was last night, but of course he you know him being in the side was a help. I know J Rod didn't make it. But they're they're in with a fighting chance and not a lot of people would have thought that when Dyche left the building. I don't think they did anything special against Villa last night. I think Villa huffed and puffed and couldn't and couldn't blow the house down, George. But for, for Burnley, you know, they got the goal, went one nil up perfect position for them. I think their main problem is they don't go one nil up very often, but once they go one nil up Burnley, you probably fancy them to take at least a point and that's exactly what they did. Yeah, they did and I think they'll probably be um, fairly happy with the point given the circumstances. I know Martinez uh, made a great save and then, you know, the Tyrone Mings block um, is probably the pivotal moment in this relegation battle where if if Mings doesn't get across and make that, uh, then, then it looks basically over because it was so late in the game it was hard to see Villa coming back into it but having said that I thought after Buendia scored the the um, the equaliser Villa were, were very much the team in the ascendancy and looked the more likely to score and missed a fair few chances as well so despite going ahead um, you know and despite a half time the fact that half time Burnley were 1-0 up and Everton were 2-0 down uh, it didn't feel like Everton were going to be the ones uh, invading the pitch in celebration at full time um, the only thing that concerns me a little bit is you know, Mike Jackson has obviously done an amazing job. He was Premier League Manager of the Month last week um, for last month. And but sometimes with caretakers, it's a trend that you often see where they'll take over, have a run of good results, and then things can kind of unravel fairly quickly. And it doesn't feel to me 
like they're necessarily in a great position. Uh, and in this relegation scrap, I think the assumption that both teams might just lose um, may be a bit premature. I-, I think there might be more twists and turns to come on Sunday. Brentford v Leeds, Steve. Interesting game. There's a video circulating at the moment of Leeds celebrating their championship title win and goading Thomas Frank. Pro- probably regret that now, I, w- mm. I-, I would say. Yeah, I mean, it comes back to bite you on the backside sometimes, doesn't it? I know Ivan Tony made a comment uh, on it as well, I think, on social media. So the, 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 the Brentford lads will will be aware of the situation. And I think Brentford deserve enormous credit to have come up and be challenging for, you know, for the top 10 themselves, which is quite incredible, really. Their current form, you might say, oh, they might be on the beach the last game. Well, we saw that last week at Everton and you, and you don't think that they will be. They've won yeah. seven of the last 10 they've also drawn with Spurs in that run as well they were 50 to 1 for the top half uh, after losing to Newcastle okay admittedly they've beaten some strugglers they've had some nice games in in, in this current run but they've also won at Stamford Bridge they've beaten West Ham uh, you know won at Everton as well who were absolutely desperate uh, for points as well and the way that Thomas Frank changed it at we talk about Lampard changing it last night at Goodison well Thomas Frank changed it didn't he last week at Everton as well by making a defensive tweak and that worked a treat as well. And I'm sure, George, you would have been delighted to see Rico Henry jumping like a salmon mm. last week at Goodison Park. I was slashing those prices <laughs> in, Georgie, for the for the England World Cup squad, Good. thinking of you at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting summer for, for Brentford and to keep hold of their, their key players. Um, as I've often said, I think Rico Henry is in surprise he's not linked to more to more, um, to more more clubs, given his ability from, from left back. But yeah, certainly good to see. Who would be the most likely to come straight back up out of Burnley and Leeds, George? Great question. I, I think it's very hard to answer that question without knowing who's going to manage either. Um, with Burnley, you know, Vincent Company and Joey Barton are the two names that have been constantly linked to the post. Um, Company seems to have made a very good start to life in management, as I mentioned uh, at length uh, on this podcast last week. Joey Barton, I think, has something about him too. So we we fairly consistently see teams who do come down um from the Premier League uh there's often you know there's there's a couple that, that don't do so well but generally they're always up there or thereabouts and, and quite often you'll see teams who even have, when they have a bad season like West Brom who, who are still in the mix for the playoffs with a couple of games to go uh sorry to mention Steve um you know it's 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 hard to see them struggling uh with Leeds will Jesse March want to go from managing Leipzig to managing the championship in just a couple of seasons it feels like a fairly quick downward trajectory for a manager who, who looked very much to be on the up until uh until he, he left Leipzig so uh hard to say um but it did feel like this season the quality in the championship wasn't great I think any team, and unless things change, I think any team who comes... That's an understatement, yeah. George, isn't it? Yeah, so I think any <sighs> team, except for Forest, you know, Fulham clearly the class team in the, in the division. I don't think Bournemouth under Scott Parker normally get promoted automatically, given how many disappointing performances there were from them this season. Uh, Forest, obviously, since Steve Cooper took over, were, were another level. Um, but I think any team, it, it's it's not the worst time to get relegated to the Championship, is all I'll say. Do you want my prices for next season? Yes. Honest, Dave. Burnley will be double the price of Leeds. Really? So I would say that Leeds will be around uh, around five to one if they went down five to one favourites to go down with um, Norwich at six and Watford at eight if if it was those uh, three sides to go down and Burnley will probably be a lot bigger as well. I'd say double the price of Leeds. As, yeah. Out of interest, what would um, what would Everton have been? Good question. I would have said around four to one ish, around three four to one. I would say. Um, yeah, I mean, they would be favourites, but not 
I mean, when it's Newcastle a massive, massive blow yeah. in my in my head that they're not there then because I think that would be too short in my view. But yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, it would be. I mean, we, yeah, we saw Newcastle be, under Rafa; they were kind of backed into six to four favourites, yeah, and they yeah, went off. And there's no there's no way in the world that Everton would be anywhere like that. And you're right, George; yeah. you'd rather be a layer than a player if, if Everton did go down, which of course they mm. aren't going to now. Yeah. I'm just thinking about Leeds fans if Leeds, if Leeds drop. Football's a cruel game. Just when you think, finally, 16 years down there, we're finally back, we're established, we're, we're going to have a good season, it all unravels, and you could find yourself right back where, where you started. And Leeds fans will be positive and they'll get behind their team, whatever. But that that would just be so deflating to find themselves back in the Championship. I saw um, a uh, Nick Goff, who's a, a friend of mine and, and Steve's other thought as well, who... Um, tweeted quite provocatively I saw him last night saying with Leeds they've sacked one of the best coaches in the history of world football and replaced him with Ted Lasso uh, which I don't think went down too well with Leeds fans um, but yeah I mean you are right where it is um, for, for them to have gone through what they went through over the course of you know from the highs of the, the Champions League semi-finals and the rest of it to, to going down into League One struggling so much to, for, to find an identity with different owners and the rest of it that final promotion back to the Premier League and then a top 10 finish it felt like Leeds were back um, so if you're a Leeds fan to have to witness what they've seen this season and not just that because it's not going to end if, if they do get relegated this weekend um, it's almost like the pain starts there because then you're going to start seeing the press releases saying that all of those heroes who played such big parts in, in those promotions will be leaving you know and it's not just them Rafinha will be will be off as well Rodrigo will be off it, it's very hard to see you know often Sometimes we see clubs when they come down from the Premier League keeping hold of their their crown jewels, but with Leeds it, it feels impossible. Um, you know, and there's even the the galling possibility, I guess, of Calvin Phillips turning out in a red shirt at Old Trafford next season, which I think would be uh, really difficult for for Leeds fans to stomach. Who do you think he's going to go, George? Pick your team that you think is going to go down. I mean, I, I, Leeds are certainly the, the likelier team to go down I don't think I'll be backing them at 4-11 to 11, though um, I think that I would probably side with Burnley at the prices um, because Newcastle are absolutely in, in a position where it's the fact that they've got nothing to play for is irrelevant because they are loving life at the moment you know they are a team who are enjoying playing and they're, they're playing at a very very high level I think they are, they are operating as a top 8 top 6 team as it is at the moment and they have no reason at all to down tools because they're um, they're in such a good place. Whereas with Brentford, it, it, you know, it does feel like even though they put in good performances recently, um, if things start to go against them and, and with the intensity that we know that Leeds will bring, uh, and I think there were even though defensively they were very poor, there were definitely signs in that Brighton game, the first game in a while that Leeds have been able to um, keep keep eleven men on the pitch. There were signs of life there, and you know, Joe Gellhart with one of the, the assists of the season, in my point of view, uh, absolutely unbelievable awareness, composure, feet and quality um, to set that goal up. And having him playing up front, I think could be the kind of catalyst where you've got this fearless, proper talent who again, if they go down, you know, it's going to be one, either he's going to be picked off or he'll be a massive player for them next season uh, and we'll have big shoes to fill in terms of Bamford moving on. I think his presence could almost be a, uh, a positive as well. So, I think Burnley at twos might be a little, uh, might be a shade too big and, and it wouldn't surprise me if Leeds do get something and force Burnley's hand. Yeah, absolute feet of Bix from Joe Gautar. I think that probably was mm. the assist of the season. Unbelievable goal. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Right, then let's look at the title race now. The final day, Liverpool v Wolves and Manchester City against Aston Villa. Man City overwhelming favourites in this position, Steve? They are, Dan, yes, as you'd expect them to be. I mean, they are extremely short to beat your guys as well. Mm. Uh, one to seven to win the title. Uh, you were disappointed with Villa last night, weren't you? A little uh, bit. Were there any boos last night, Dan? Uh, there was a few. If I'm being honest, at the end, at the end of the game, yeah, it's just I think it's it's off the. I think it's the two home games, two draws against Palace and, and Burnley. I think there was a little bit of frustration there that Villa could, couldn't take the game to him and, and and go on and win it. But I think Villa just need the summer. I mean, Villa are fourteen to one. To win, like a lot of clubs, you've got an horrendous record there, haven't you? As oh, well, ten in a row uh, lost, I think, at the Etihad. Yeah, and uh, and and conceded uh, and conceded a lot of goals as well. I think it was twenty five when, when I looked. This will be very impressive. Can you name the Villa four goal scorers over the last eleven games? You've, you've conceded thirty five and scored four in the in the times we've lost. Yeah, in the last ten, in the last eleven games, you've scored four goals. I will give you. At least a cheese and beans okay. oat cake, maybe, with a sauce of your choice, <laughs> if you're able to pull off any goal scorer I've got from one. them. Stephen Warnock. Correct. Well done. Uh, he's, big, uh, he's bigger than me and you. There's another clue. John Carew and Maloney. Was Maloney, no, Maloney scored when we no. won. Carew and Maloney scored when yeah. we won. Last one there, 2-0. Uh, yeah. Cleverly done. Cleverly done uh, there. Cleverly yeah. Sanchez. Cle- Correct. Yes, yeah, there we go. Yeah. I mean, I did get, I did, I, I did get <laughs> quite a lot of help there, but I look forward to my cheese and bean toaster or whatever it is you said you were going to no, get. But, me. But, but listen, cheese the and way that wow, I changed no, it. Oh, okay, okay, it's different up here. These <laughs> Staffordshire oat cakes, the Stokies absolutely. Well, all the family love them, bar me. I can't see Villa getting anything at City. I would love to say to the Liverpool fans that. Villa have got a chance of going there and getting something that they were set up very well last season went there ran them close and it was two late goals, goals that saw Villa off but I just think Man City will, will just be an electric but the vulnerability form. that we saw last week at West Ham you know Zinchenko, uh, Zinchenko off it Fernandinho looked his age a little bit as well I thought personally Stones and Walker are back aren't they and there, and there, there, is a, there is a slight feeling of this game that it's you know we, we've spoken about Pep's fallibility in Europe and you know there's a I know their their record in cup finals especially FA cup finals is is pretty good but we do know that when it when the pressure is on and they need a result they are prone or Pep's teams are prone to 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 take kind of spells of madness and there's absolutely no denying that that Villa have enough quality to cause them issues you know I I do think in terms of Coutinho uh, Buendia you know Watkins, whoever else it is. You know there, there are quality players there who can capitalise on on moments where concentration might drop or, or the pressure gets to them. I don't think it's going to happen, but I do think that in Villa, even if Villa aren't a side who have necessarily proven themselves as being a, a you know an elite team in the Premier League this season, there are elite players there who who can go out and do that. So I wouldn't say it's a, it's a 
you know, it, it's not wrapped up yet, let's say, uh, and there could there could well be be twists and turns on the final day, even if it does end with the inevitable uh, City win. I think other than Manchester United, where Villa took a point at home, I think any team in the top eight that Villa have played, they took nothing all season. So it feels like a massive stretch that they would go to Manchester City and, and even get a point. I do get what you're saying. I do think City can be get out. But you should, have, I mean, you, sh- you should have battered United twice in, in a week, shouldn't you? So. I, no, I know, but we did. But we did. We didn't. You and didn't. I just <laughs> man, the way Man City played, I do think Villa will get some joy on the break. It was just, it's just whether Ali Watkins can, can take those chances when they come his way. But if Sam Lee has been writing about if Manchester City score first, they'll go on and win the game quite comfortably. I think it would, see, also, it would settle the also, nerves around the ground. Yeah, their record though, when when being being behind at half time, is is dreadful. I mean, we saw that, of course, at the weekend against against West Ham. Yeah, isn't the stat going around that since 1995 they've been behind uh, 107 times at a half time, but they've only won two games, and that was both against ten men. Um, so you know, for a size of of City's quality, you, you, over recent years, you'd expect that. I don't know if that's that's correct, by the way. I don't I, think I, they've I, gone I, behind too many times in the, in the last five years. Well, well, listen, I mean, I mean since 95, 107 times. Mm. Um, so, and of course, the, you know, the report about them scoring early as well. Of course, Manchester City have the highest, 1.72 is their average to goals um, by half time. And they're well clear in the Premier League. They've scored 18 goals in the first 15 minutes, which is the best in the Premier League as well. But you know what? They aren't the best defensively in the first 15 minutes either. They've, they've conceded five goals very early on. So maybe they could be nervous and maybe Villa could go for them. It's the same amount as Palace they've conceded. It's it's uh, it's more than Chelsea, Newcastle, Spurs and Wolves as well. So if they are jittery and Villa are at it, there could be a, a bit of a squeaky bum time. I suppose Villa did come out the other week at Villa Park and they got at Liverpool and, and got that goal after two minutes. Of course, conceded and there's, and there's, very quickly. Afterwards. And the Gerard narrative as well is massive. I know it's you know people are always talking about that. I mean, I mean it's a it's a it's a headline writer's dream, isn't it? But we do do, do we really do we really? I mean, I suppose they have been texting each other, players and stuff like that. I'd imagine that that goes on. But does it make a massive difference? Do you think? No, I think it can go both ways. I, I think there is definitely going to be an added impetus for Steven Gerrard to try and win the game. Whether that has any tangible effect, probably not. <laughs> I don't even so, think there's added impetus though. I just think does Steven Gerrard want Liverpool to win Does Steven Gerrard want Liverpool to win the league? Yes. Yes. Because he's yes. a Liverpool man. Yes. But the game, it's all about it's but, all Villa. But, but, he wants to win it for but, Villa. I just don't think but he se- season anything. on season. I, I think season especially because, you know, if this was Frank Lampard and Chelsea, a uh, Frank Lampard who'd won multiple trophies and multiple Premier League titles with Chelsea, I think it would be a narrative and nothing really in it. When it's Steven Gerrard, who, as away fans around the country will often remind him, uh, has never won the Premier League, who, for an unbelievable player, one of his lasting legacies is him literally falling over to cost Liverpool their one title. I think there is added impetus beyond him just being one of Liverpool's greatest ever players. You know, I think it. Will, you know, it's probably the first thing he thinks of when he wakes up in the morning. And the last thing he thinks about at night is 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 what's going on then, and that will only be heightened at the moment. So, I don't for a second think that you know Stephen Gerrard is his his will to win, uh, his will for Liverpool to win is going to magic a, a a new level of performance from Villa. But there's no denying that he he certainly is. Um, he will be going into this game with a different and more focused mindset, I would say. You know, we, we see every season that teams who have nothing to play for 
um, their, their, their results later on we talk about the beach and stuff it's 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 noticeable and I think Villa's last couple of performances as you say at home have been uh, kind of look like teams who, who maybe have nothing to play for I'd be surprised if we see Liverpool roll over and I'd be surprised if Gerard allows that to happen um, but will it make a difference probably not I just think you know at the end of the day it doesn't make up for anything he isn't going to get a medal it's, it's nothing to do with him with Liverpool in the leg I think he just wants to win the game Villa and he's not going to be drilling into I, the players. Do this for Liverpool. I just, I just think it's, it's nothing, really. He wouldn't say that. So he wouldn't say that in the changing room. But I think, I think in his mind, he, he, he would be thinking that. But does he not want do to you? just? Does he not want to win every game anyway? Yes, yes, he does. But there's just a little bit of extra icing on the cake. I, I, think I understand the end. Mind, res- it, I understand the end result. Yes, would be good. But, for then, him. but then, surely, but Dan, by by that metric, surely then motivation never plays any part in football because everyone's always trying hundred. Everyone's always trying hundred no, no, percent. No, no, I, I under- Yeah, except for us today, we're on the beach. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying my best to work with you, Dave, in, in this mindset. It's very difficult to get people up for these like podcasts, and I'm really, really trying. Quite frankly, you're not there, Dave. I think you're just saying that as a Villa fan. Me and George. Yeah, I agree. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course, he wants to win every game. I mean, there's no he. He didn't send the lads out of Burnley last night, being like, "Right, don't get injured. We've got Save big games Sunday." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, we're not saying that. I think there's just, as I've as I've said plenty of times, I don't think they'll make an, a, an impact. But there's absolutely no way that even no matter what he says, this isn't just another game for for Gerard. No chance. No, and there is other ex Liverpool alumni involved as well. Coutinho, mm. Ings, Gary McAllister, is Villa's assistant manager. We'll see what happens on Sunday. Does anyone want City to win the league? It's, a, it's a something fans. that Pep, yeah, obviously the City fans, they, they would look quite like Manchester City <laughs> win the league. Yeah, but Pep was kind of, Pep's kind of alluded that he thinks neutrals are more keen for Liverpool to win the league. Do we almost take them for granted because they are so good? And and they could actually end up trophyless this year, which would be a massive shock. I mean, I, I, I'm someone who I, I enjoy watching City play as a, as a neutral fan, but I'm, I'm becoming increasingly aware that a lot of people don't, um, which I find kind of surprising I think because um, you know they are so dominant in terms of what they do with the ball because they aren't particularly direct um, you know for me watching Kevin De Bruyne play football for 90 minutes is something I'll never get tired of um, and, and it does it does feel in a way like De Bruyne and City are almost detached like De Bruyne it gets so many plaudits and rightly so and, and I think he's a lot of neutrals favourite footballer in, in, in the Premier League yet you won't find the same kind of plaudits coming towards um City and I think you know Pep's behaviour. I think Pep Guardiola is a as a man. Um, his population has definitely waned uh, over the last couple of seasons because he's got a fairly spiky attitude. I think he's someone who who kind of curries that. I think he he likes to create a bit of a siege mentality within within the club and 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 turn it into an us us versus them. And I think he knows what he's doing in doing that as well. So um, I don't think it really necessarily bothers him. Um, he's just that that's part of his personality. But but I do I do definitely think. You know, it's not a case where the whole country Liverpool fans. Um, I think Liverpool have their own issues with a lot of neutrals in the country as well. Um, but I, I and, and often it's the chasing team, it's the underdog who, who people want to win. Um, maybe if Liverpool had been had been leading throughout the campaign and it was City making a late charge, there'd be more hoping that City uh, made it up because people always like to, to to support the drama and support the team who are who are chasing. Quick word on Liverpool, Steve. I mean, made an incredible amount of changes on on midweek against Southampton and rested a lot of players and you kind of think has Klopp given up here does, does, is he prioritising other competitions but they still got the job done and won 
They did, yeah. Minamino coming uh, coming into the side. His first uh, ninety minutes, I think he's played this season. He's got ten goals. A, a, ten goals. Amazing, really. And he scored some really important goals, mainly in in cup competitions as well. The uh, yeah, the FA Cup. He scored important goals there, of course, which I won the FA Cup. The EFL, they've won that. You remember the quarterfinals when they were three one down very late on, chasing the game. He got an assist, and I think he got an injury time goal as well to take it into into um, the extra penalties as well, which they, of course they got through as well. For him, I don't know, it must be frustrating. He didn't even play in either, he didn't feature in either no, final either, did he? I don't think. No, yeah. after so, you put so much into getting them to that final, it must be a little bit demotivating. Yeah, but it's good for the football club to have so many players being willing because sometimes if you're a player, if you're dragging your heels, not even in the squad sometimes, you're going to be frustrated. Clearly, it helps when you're winning football games and winning football games every week. Clearly, it's a, it's a great dressing room there as well and got some good pros and uh, Minamino certainly t- uh, seems to be part of that as well. And of course, Divock Origi also came on, of course, and he's going to be saying his goodbyes by the look of it. Yeah, Liverpool legend Divock Origi has a great terms with AC Milan. It'll be interesting if the likes of Minamino follow suit and, and do leave in the summer because they could definitely go and play football at a high level somewhere. But credit to Klopp, that's the atmosphere in the dressing room that he harvests and players at Liverpool just seem to be happy whatever they're doing. So yeah, George, let's get a tip for you for Liverpool v Wolves then. Interestingly, um, I cleared my cookies on my laptop the other day and suddenly all these bet boosts started, started appearing on the Bet365 site. So that was handy. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take uh, use of one of those bet boosts. And Sadio Mane, if that's allowed with Steve, Sadio Mane to score any time, Liverpool to win to nil, and over two and a half goals in the game is five to one, which really? seems a, a fair price to me, boosted from seven to two. Um, it does feel to me like this should be a bit of a walkover for Liverpool. Mane comes into it in, in cracking form, given Salah's uh, injury issues as well. I think Mane is the, the likeliest goal scorer on the pitch. Um, so, yeah, and it, it doesn't seem any reason to me why Liverpool would stop at one, given Wolves' poor form. So that seems like a fair price. Steve, Man City Villa for you. I touched on it earlier with maybe some nerves at Manchester City. And if, if Villa can go at it first half, I'm going to go for both teams to score in the first half Ooh. at 9-2. to two. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Final round of games we're going to look at is the battle for the top four. There's not really a battle anymore at all. No, as the producer, Arsenal. anyone checked on him this week? Anyone checked <laughs> on him? I fail for him. He's Arsenal against Everton and Norwich against Spurs. I mean, if you're an Arsenal fan, the last week or so, the one thing you don't want is Spurs to have to play Norwich in the last game. And it's exactly what's happened. It's all but over, isn't it, Steve? Yeah, we certainly think so from a bookmaker's point of view. Very short odds. 
indeed for them to finish in the top four. Tottenham one to twenty five, Arsenal at at fourteen to one. Who'd have thought that not so long ago when it was looking oh so good for the Gunners? Just one of one of frustration, and then of course Spurs go to go to Carrow Road, a very very short price to win the game. But even a draw will do as well. So yeah, looking very rosy for them. Yeah. Charlie Eccleshare has been writing about how Spurs have long since changed their pre-match routine to avoid what another... What a report that he's done, by the way. I, I, <laughs> had, I had a few... Uh, a, a few a bit, the, the Callum Davenport one was incredible, but the, the, the stories that he, he, he was telling, I can't imagine some of the... I, know it's, I suppose if you're reading it, it's quite funny, but if you're going through that pain, the stomach pains that they had, the mm. sickness, everything like that, wow. The uh, Yeah, I'll I, I, I let George mention it, but it was... Uh, I would definitely recommend having a read. It's on my to-do list. It's on my to-read list of of what I need to catch up on. But it's very, 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 very unlikely that something like that will happen again. And we shouldn't joke about it. But that does feel like Arsenal's best hope. Yeah, I I guess it does. I mean, we have to remember that it is still a a game of football between two Premier League sides. and, And Norwich will... As is often the case, they will relish the, the possibility of being of being the team who, who upsets um, the opposition. But at the same time, if, if Spurs start fast, it's hard to see why Norwich would do anything other than roll over. Um, and, and I think you know we're seeing Tottenham now. If you if you take the Premier League table from the second of November, which is the date that Antonio Conte took over, um, City are, are top on seventy points from from twenty seven games. Liverpool second on sixty seven. So it's still a big gap. But then it's Spurs, Spurs in third, with fifty three points from from twenty seven games. Uh, four points more than Arsenal. Uh, seven points more than Chelsea, and a goal difference of thirty one with Arsenal and Chelsea ten and ten and nineteen in the positive. You know he's done a very very good job when you consider where he's taken them from. When you also consider that is taking into account that the really poor run of form that that came after he took took over, it wasn't a case of Conte taking over and the, and the results improving dramatically immediately. Um, I think Spurs, and it, you know this might seem a bit reactive, but I think Spurs, if if they you know if they get this done on the weekend, um, get into the Champions League. Uh, make the, the signings that we think they're going to make permanent, permanent in Kulisevsky and Bentoncourt, um, continue to operate in this way in the market, keep Kane and, and Conte, uh, which I think all of those things feel likely. I don't see why they aren't the the, the closest challengers next season to, to the top two. Um, it feels prime to me. You know, we see Antonio Conte do this in pretty much every club that he's at, where it is it's normally a short flash and it feels like they are on the brink of being able to have that flash and i think in in kane and son you've got two elite talents at the very very top of their game who have an amazing understanding who are only improving under conte um i'm if i was a spurs fan and i, and I know that predicting spurs to do well over the last 20 years has been a foolish thing to do because they will normally let you down and, and maybe this weekend it'll start there but i i i think that with conte at the helm they are a team who are very much heading in the right direction. And with Arsenal, for all of the moments of promise, uh, for all of the good form a, a few weeks ago, um, to to be the side with the team that they have without European football and to finish fifth is very, very poor. There's no other way to dress it up. Teams who don't have European football, who are one of the top six in, in the Premier League, generally have very good seasons, as we mentioned many, many times. There's no excuse for, for these poor performances that we're seeing from them sporadically and you know for Arteta he just seems to be a manager who at certain periods in certain games looks like there's something there but the the streaks and the slumps he has to find a way to stop them because otherwise it's going to be impossible for them to um to, to maintain any kind of challenge at the top level and, and next season 
you know, Champions League football would obviously be be a massive positive. But if they're going to be playing um, Saturday or Sunday, Thursday every week, uh, it's hard to really see why they would progress uh, year on year into next season. It feels like a huge sliding doors moment, Steve, really, because with Spurs, with Conte in charge, Kane and Son at the peak, like, like George says, they'll buy well under Conte. He'll be backed heavily in the summer. They'll have Champions League football. It feels like you know Spurs are on at the start of a journey here, where that where they could very well win win some trophies. Arsenal, it's just such a huge mischance, and it was a mischance in January as well because Spurs improved their side, got two very good players in. Arsenal stood still and and did nothing, and this was such a good chance to finish top four this season, probably the best chance they'll they'll have in the in the next few years, and they've, they've not been good enough to do it. They did have a sticky spell in January as well with a beating in the Cups by a couple of sides and, and dropped points home to Burnley as well, I think they dropped. And of course, the North London derby was called off during January as well. But I take, I take your point, they needed upgrades. Spurs got the upgrades, that didn't happen. Arsenal did spend £140 million, was it, last summer So that, as well? I suppose that their targets for the summer will differ now, possibly, because they won't be Champions League football, Jesus... He, could, he just could have given Arsenal a chance to accelerate. Instead, now Spurs are going to have in that acceleration. But I think Spurs are in a better place generally than Arsenal. So it they just feels like they're going to lose so much ground. George mentioned the prices for next season that he would be, he might be interested in some of the prices that I think we're probably going to go. So Manchester City will be odds on favourites around 8 to 13 with Liverpool at 2. This is the outright market. Chelsea, possibly 14 ish. Manchester United at 16, Spurs at 25 with Arsenal at 50. What are the place terms, Steve? I don't know whether it'll be a half one, two. I don't know what it will be as yet. But from the top four perspective... Give us, give, give us, give us a third of the three, I reckon, won't you? And then, then we'll take do, I tell you what, do you, want a the, do, do you want a quarter of the first four just for you? How about okay, that? Yeah, perfect. That's fine. Yeah, okay, okay, we'll yeah. speak off there. Great. Well, as regards the top four, Spurs will be around the 11 to 10 mark next season and Arsenal are at just two to one. So... Yes, Tottenham are favourites, but Arsenal are miles away from, from in our opinion, challenging for the top four. But I take your point totally that it feels like Spurs are clear of Arsenal, the, if that makes sense. The gap's sense. just going to get bigger now. I personally think that, that Tottenham 11 and 10 top four is a, is a massive price, like massive, massive price. Because you're, you're, what, even if Chelsea and, uh, and United do improve, you've got two teams there who are going to be odds on for the top four, one of which is looking like going through a takeover but I mean who knows what's going to happen with that and when if they do get taken over we have no idea you know it's a massive unknown and then you've got Manchester United who you are you're pricing them up for what a, a 10 point improvement next season at least off the back of uh, the appointment of a new manager and a 10 you know, hog point <clears throat> improvement very good. yeah but that's that's a leap of faith as well so I yeah I, I mean you are, of course, assuming by taking the 11 to 10 that Conte will be in charge next season and Kane and the rest of them will stay. But I'd um, I'd be happy to do that. There you go. Already a tip on the podcast for next season. Thanks very much, George. Thanks very much. If you're an Arsenal fan and this podcast hasn't already depressed you enough, there is a great piece from James McNicholas on Arsenal's capitulation. It's just, he sums it up very, very well as, as well. God, I, I feel sorry for Arsenal because they they got themselves into such a good position Against the odds, really, after that after that start, but it, it's not happening. Spurs aren't going to lose to Norwich. Spurs aren't, aren't going to do anything but go to Carrow Road and win, so it's going to be a very underwhelming end of the season and a very disappointing end of the season for Arsenal. We'll clip that up if it does happen, and then Spurs fans will be wrong before. I have been wrong before. I don't think I'll be wrong here, though. Steve, what's your tip for Arsenal v Everton? 
I'm going down the bet builder route as well, George, with a bit of a boost. Uh, Richarlson, who of course has had a good end to the season for Everton, he's to score at any time. The match result will be draw or Everton, and both teams to score in the match, yes. So that's been boosted from 15 to 2 out to 10 to 1. So that's where I'm going on this. I hope for an entertaining game with, with Richarlison signing off after scoring some important goals and to score another one. Georgie, just going back to your place terms, I think it might be a third, a third one too. So I'll, I'll have to get that confirmed to you privately. Okay, you two have your, have your private conversations off air. George, your tip for Norwich vs Spurs? Pretty simple one, this one. Um, and I think you'll like it, uh, Dan, the way you've been talking about the game. Uh, I think both Harry Kane and Son uh, to score any time in the game at 17 to 10. Um, you know, this could easily turn into a bit of a rout, you think, uh, with Spurs under Conte being pretty good at when they're on top, uh, really making that dominant show and scoring a fair few. And as I say, the two of them in absolutely superb form and enjoying their football as well. So, yeah, getting just shy of seven or four about the both of them getting on the score sheet seems to be a good way to play it. And Steve, Son's still got a chance of golden boot. He has. Mo Salah is still favourite at one to two with Son at six to four. Do we think, I know Harry Kane is a prolific goal scorer. If Tottenham get a penalty and the game's won, does he, hand the, does he hand the ball to Son? If the game was no. comfortably won, I think he would. N- no, they've got some, he wants a Premier think? League goal scoring record. That's more, he's no yeah. way. I think There's he'd no pass way. it on. It's a good debate. He, it's a good debate. If he if he were to do that and then fall one shy of the all time record, true. But they have such a good relationship. <laughs> yeah, that's what makes me they? think he'd hand the ball. If they're three 0 up, for example, they get he a pen scored, in the last he's, ten. He scored a pen. He scored a pen last weekend. You know, and that's a similar situation. Isn't it? And what a penalty! His penalty. He's, the way that he hits them in, absolutely incredible. Yeah, good yeah. pen. But that you he, know, he could have had five goalies in there. He could have had five pokes <laughs> in there and not a prayer of saving it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> see what he did there. Well done. Well done. Save. It's taken him 38 podcasts, but he's got, he's got a good joke in right at the death. <laughs> he's delighted as well. <laughs> he's happy with that, if you could see his little face now. <laughs> right, then just enough time for me to remind you to subscribe to The Athletic today. Again, full access to all the brilliant articles and ad-free podcasts for just a pound a month for the first six months. To do that, head to theathletic.com slash football pod and you'll be able to take advantage of the offer. My thanks go to George and Steve as always and of course to all of you for listening too, especially if you've listened all season. Thank you very much. Please remember to rate the podcast and subscribe. Mark Chapman and company will be back with a new podcast on this feed on Monday evening following the final day of the season. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. We'll be back. Oh no, we are back next Friday. I didn't even know. Happy days. We'll be back next Friday for one last preview of the Champions League final. Have a great weekend and enjoy all the football. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.